Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Dr. Bo Bruce. Happy New Year. Welcome to the first day of the new Western Rite Church year, the first day of Advent. On this day, the appointed gospel passage we just read, as you may recall, is also read on Palm Sunday. In the approximately 52 Sundays the church has per year to teach you something, we read a lot of scripture between the epistle readings and the gospel readings. And of course, when the lectionary was put together, there were daily services with much more scripture. Nevertheless, there are still precious few Sundays to cover everything. So why? Why would the church choose to repeat herself? Especially so given that both Palm Sunday and the first Sunday of Advent are relatively more important Sundays in the church year. Why tell this story twice? Why is it so important? On both days, the passage functions to prepare us, and the church always likes to prepare us. In fact, the church is in the business of preparing us not only for our lives here and now, but for the eternal age to come. In some ways, the church is all about preparedness. People who are prepared know what they're getting into. Unexpected difficulties are never a good thing, but they always arise. And nevertheless, it's better to be prepared than unprepared. So whether it's an expected season of fasting, which the church prepares us for with a few pre-fast weeks of getting ready, or whether the church reminds us to be prepared because an unexpected death could befall us at any moment, the church is all about being prepared. On Palm Sunday, the passage, I believe, is there to remind us just how clueless everyone was about who Jesus was. We tend to easily forget that the disciples and the people on that road leading into Jerusalem were clueless, really clueless. They had no idea what was about to happen. Again, not even the disciples, those who had walked with him throughout his ministry, got it. Not even his cousin, John the Baptist, who we just were hearing about, who proclaimed him to be the Christ, he didn't get it either. He had to ask Jesus from jail if he was really the Messiah. No, they all expected something different. And that is exactly why they're tossing palm branches at his feet. They're tired of Roman oppression. They've been expecting a military leader, and they're excited that they might finally be able to throw off the yoke of Rome with the help of Jesus. Sure, they've been a little confused so far. He doesn't really seem to be much of the military type with all this turn-the-other-cheek stuff. But nevertheless, the disciples continue to expect it. They continue to expect a military king. Peter telling the Lord there's no way he could be given up to be killed, ultimately slicing off the ear of one of the sentries sent to get Jesus. James and John quivering over who will sit in his, on his right hand in his kingdom, which they presume to be earthly. They're expecting the triumphal entry of the book of 1 Maccabees, which tells the story of how the Jews overcame the Greek reign and established the Hasmonean Jewish dynasty by unfortunately and ironically choosing an alliance with Rome to help. In chapter 13 of 1 Maccabees, the siege of Jerusalem by the Jews ends with the capture of the citadel in Jerusalem, and the Jews make their entry into the city with acclamations and carrying palms to the sound of lyres, cymbals, and harps, chanting hymns and canticles, since a great enemy had been crushed and thrown out of Israel. Simon, the Jewish leader, made it a day of annual rejoicing. The Hasmonean dynasty ended when Rome assented to Herod's 
the great's proclamation as king of the Jews, after Antigonus, Herod's rival, was executed by Mark Anthony, who you may remember was Cleopatra's husband. Okay, that's almost enough history. But interestingly, according to Josephus, who was an important early Jewish historian, Herod was of Maccabean royal blood. Unsurprisingly, Herod and the Jewish Sanhedrin weren't so happy with Jesus coming into town in a royal fashion. And they were constantly attempting to protect their own power from that of Rome, who would love to take it away. So they definitely saw Jesus as a threat. All Rome really wanted was things to run smoothly. Everybody would be happy. But Jesus, as we heard in the passage, was causing a stir. And as we know, it would get him in trouble not only with the Jews, but with the Romans. The Roman leaders didn't get it. Herod didn't get it. The Jewish leaders didn't get it. The disciples didn't get it. Not even the angels got it. As St. Peter says, these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit send from heaven things into which the angels long to look. These things that all the princes of the world did not know. For, they, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, as St. Paul says. So that makes sense for Palm Sunday. But what about today? Well, all of the above certainly applies to Advent, too. We, we're clueless. But I think Advent takes it a step further. We know how Holy Week ends, with Christ's shameful death on a cross leading to Christ's resurrection, triumphing over Hades, death, and the grave. How does Advent end? With Christmas the birth of Jesus. And did everybody get that? No, emphatically no. They were just as close about the beginning of his life as they were about the way it would end. Yes, the scribes knew that it was prophesied that he'd be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. But they didn't expect the little boy to be born to a young virgin in a dirty Bella. Where was Jesus born? In a stable, yeah. They didn't expect he to be born to a young virgin in a dirty stable. No one in their right mind would have thought that God himself would come down from heaven to become a human being. Fully in every way a human being, while remaining fully and in every way divine. That's nonsense. The Jews thought it beneath their ineffable God. The Greeks thought their gods were smarter than that. And yet God surprises us again by loving us so much that he pursues us to the point of becoming a little human baby boy in a manger, lives a humble life shamefully killed by us, and yet God there destroys death's grip on us. In the world we have to be, in the words we've been using about love the last few weeks, that's real eros. God communed with humankind to save us because he loved us so deeply. How can we choose to respond with anything but a wish to commune with him? An opportunity affords us in our life of prayer and through the divine mysteries of the Eucharist, here and now and eternally in the life to come. Of course, if we read the Old Testament, we know that God acts humbly, but still, no one expected it. Is it any wonder that the church makes all this effort to keep reminding us that we need to stop looking for what we want Jesus to be and start accepting him for who he really is? After all, even though we are unfathomably blessed to know how the story ends, we forget it all the time. The disciples had an excuse for not understanding. We don't. For most of us, this is not the first time we've heard this story, and yet we forget it every time we hear it. We often forget it when we leave the building and go back home. No matter how many times we hear it, it seems to go in one ear and out the other. We so often forget to think, act, and love like Christians. 
the juxtaposition of the triumphal entry and the crucifixion or the nativity reminds us how quickly we too will turn on our Lord. We all, in the, in even the greatest of saints, are always sinning through our action, inaction, thought, word, and deed. Sometimes it seems we really can't help ourselves, but we can. And so our task to always, always try to be better, to be walking forward, even if we occasionally take two steps back. And I think this is why the church tells us the end before the beginning and why it does it over and over again. Because it hopes the better we understand the end, the better we'll be in the here and now. Not just on this topic, but in many, many aspects of our lives. Before we wrap up, though, I want to discuss one last thing that I find interesting and which I believe ties into this interpretation we've been talking about. Actually, while the passage is read on Palm Sunday and the first Sunday of Advent are almost exactly the same, there is a slight difference in the readings for the two days. The Palm Sunday version ends with, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. While the Advent version we read today continues on with, And when he came into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all of them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said to them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Why this last part read on Advent and not on Palm Sunday? I believe it's in part because Holy Week takes us from the incarnation to the resurrection rapidly. There's a stronger connection to the divine nature of Jesus' kingdom that will be made even more manifest on ascension during the Easter season. But here in Advent, we need a, a reminder of how the story ends, that Jesus is not, as we've discussed, the earthly military commander and king that the people were expecting. Now, his battles were fought on the temple grounds with the money changers because his house is a house of prayer, not a palace or a fortress. Second, this edition also emphasizes the incarnational nature of Christ. Who is this? And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Everyone saw him as a man, but no one really understood he was also God. Third, I wonder if it was a warning against the Advent seeming season becoming what it has. And although I did not live at the time, I imagine it already was a lot like that when the lectionary was finalized. A time of thinking a little too much about celebrating and gift giving and even sentimentality rather than getting into the meat of what we are talking about. Thereby making what should be his season, Jesus's season, into our season into what we want it to be. Thereby, we make Advent, instead of his house, into a den of thieves that sucks the life out of ourselves and our neighbor when we are instead to be focused on reflection and prayer during this season. And so here we are, just like those on the road into Jerusalem, excited about everything Jesus is about to do, or at least everything we think he's about to do. So now is a time to really remind us that what we think about Jesus is not what Jesus is. What we think Jesus does is not what Jesus does. Unlike Holy Week, where we're thrown on a week-long roller coaster, Advent is a season of quiet reflection. This year it will seem a little bit compressed because we only have three weeks. Between now, the second Sunday of Advent, the third Sunday of Advent, the fourth Sunday of Advent, and Christmas comes the following Monday. 
So don't squander this time before the celebration of Christmas. We'll have plenty of time to celebrate. So how can we make this Advent a house of prayer rather than a den of thieves? Well, first, how about we pray? That's a really good start to making a house of prayer, isn't it? So whatever our prayer life is currently, from none to some to abundant, let's just step it up a little. If you aren't doing anything, commit to something. Maybe just saying the Lord's Prayer two or three times a day. Set a reminder on your phone if you have to. Second, the church has set this as a season of fasting. No meat or meat products or juices on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Technically, the fast also includes abstinence, which is restricting how much we eat. But Father Michael asked us to talk to him about doing more if that's what we wish to do. So that's it. No meat or meat products or juices on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Finally, as we're thinking about what gifts we want and what gifts we will give our friends and family, it's a very good time to think about almsgiving in the more general sense. As we have in the past, we'll be finding something to which we can give part of what we could or would have given for gifts and give it to those in greater need. However, with respect to your family and friends, also just try to keep the peace this Advent and Christmas. If you didn't argue around the Thanksgiving table, you'll probably have another opportunity in the next few weeks to be the light of Christ to your friends and family. Be it. That's also almsgiving, the gift of love and charity. I conclude with St. Theophon the Recluse's reflection on the conclusion of our lectionary passage. My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. I believe that it brings everything together we were talking about. Now quoting St. Theophon. Everyone knows that a church calls for reverence, for a collecting of thoughts, for deep thinking about God, and for standing in the presence of God. But who fulfills this? People go to church with a desire to pray, to stand in it for a while with warm fervor, but then thoughts begin to wander and bargaining begins in one's head even louder than that which the Lord found in the Jerusalem temple. Why is this so? Because the way one stands in church is a reflection of one's entire life. As people live, so do they behave in church. A church influences and somewhat supports spiritual movements, but then the course of one's spiritual constitution takes over. Therefore, if you want your time in church to consist of worthily standing in the face of the Lord, prepare for this in your ordinary life. Walk as much as you can in a prayerful frame of mind. This labor will bring you to the point that in church you will also stand reverently all the time. This reverence will inspire you to be reverent in your ordinary life as well. Thus you will walk higher and higher. Say, O Lord, help and begin. End quote. So go, set a resolution this new church year to find Christ, not your imagination of him, but the real him. Go, say, O Lord, help and begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.